sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Hello and welcome. To a Friday live right here on the morning after on Sports Grid. Sirius XM Channel 159. That is the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM. All across the Sports Grid Network as well. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here to end out your work week ahead of a huge weekend across the sports landscape. Tonight begins the final four of the NCAA tournament in Dallas, Texas. The women get us started in the big dance with only four teams remaining in the hunt for a national championship. In a battle of two Goliaths in the sport, Iowa and South Carolina. And then tomorrow, not far away, a Texas two-step. Houston, Texas, the site for the men's Final Four in 2023. Two improbable runs with FAU and San Diego State. The most dominant team we have seen in recent tourney history in Connecticut, hosts Miami in that nightcap as well. A ton to set the stage for, which is three games remaining in this college basketball season. Live right here on this Friday on the morning after. But it is also a big day, a big week, to start off the 2023 Major League Baseball campaign. Opening day yesterday, all 30 MLB clubs in action. And the first game of opening day, The game that got us started up in the Bronx inside Yankee Stadium. The Yankees and the Giants. Now, the pinstripes close with Garrett Cole on the bump as a strong minus 180 money line favorite, and they made good on that. A 5-0 victory for New York to pick up an opening day victory over San Francisco. And on opening day, maybe we don't overreact, but you want to see your stars perform at the highest of their abilities. And that happened for the pinstripes yesterday in a very big way. Garrett Cole was sensational on the bump. 11 strikeouts for Cole over his K prop of eight and a half, which is rather sensational given the idea we're not entirely sure how long the managers are going to let their aces run out there on opening day. Cole barely needed any time whatsoever to get over that eight and a half. Six innings of scoreless baseball pitched yesterday and then on the second at bat on the second pitch rather of his first at bat of the 2023 major league baseball season Aaron Judge goes yard picking up where he left off after 62 home runs last year a single season record in the American League Judge wastes no time to hit home run number one of 2023 cashing a plus 390 ticket so if you back the Yankees yesterday on the money line congratulations if you back their two biggest stars congratulations as well both Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge helping you start the Major League Baseball season in a profitable way late night last night up in the Bay in Oakland it was Shohei Day Shohei Otani getting the start the opening day start for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim against the A's and Shohei was sensational last night Six innings of shutout baseball, only allowed two hits. He did walk three, but he struck out 10. However, it comes in a loss for the Angels overall as Oakland comes back in the home half of the eighth inning for a 2-1 victory 
over L.A. And Oakland was a heavy money line underdog, closing with a plus 194 ticket in their home opener on opening day. A welcome to our Sports Grid radio audience here. The opening hour of a Friday Live right here on the morning after on Sports Grid. Sirius XM Channel 159. All of our radio terrestrial affiliates now in the fold as well. I am Ben Stevens. Shohei Otani gets the start for the Angels on opening day on the bump, and he was great. Even his pitch comm start, stopped working in the home half of the first inning. He was calling his own pitches out there on the bump, and it resulted in 10 strikeouts well over his K prop of six and a half. He also recorded a hit, so there you go right there for the versatile Shohei Otani, but it's the Angels meme in real life with Shohei Otani pitching six innings of shutout baseball, striking out 10, and yet the Angels still lose. That is the story for the Halos. A win total prior to the year getting started of 82 and a half, the most wins they have ever recorded with both Mike Trout and Shohei in the lineup for the Angels is 80 in their four of five full seasons together. It's a big Friday live right here on the morning after because it is final four weekend in college basketball tomorrow night in Houston four teams left in the big dance all in the hunt for cutting down the nets as a national champion right now UConn the favorite in odds on favorite at minus 125 to win that national title San Diego State the second best price plus 390 Miami there who will face UConn in the nightcap tomorrow night and FAU the longest of the four prices at plus 550 a quick check on the lines we'll continue our breakdowns for the final four over these next two hours on the morning after san diego state now a two and a half point favorite against florida atlantic this historic for both of these teams their first ever final four appearance it was two weeks ago today the owls of fau recorded their first ever ncaa tournament victory and in the nightcap UConn has frankly been dominant throughout their run in the big dance. All four of their victories in the NCAA tournament by at least 15 points. It is why Connecticut is a five and a half point favorite against Miami. But the Canes, as a dog over the last two years, 20 and five against the number, 16 outright victories. Plenty more from the morning after. Up next, live right here on Sports. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. A ton to break down here on this Friday live on the morning after on SportsGrid. Sirius XM Channel 1. 59 and all across the sports grid network as well i am ben stevens our first guest up for two consecutive segments will show his ability to be a jack of all trades because back in high school out on long island mark zinno's baseball coach said to him mark you do a lot of things very well but nothing especially great and Mark Zeno will put that on display here as we'll go both through opening day in Major League Baseball and, of course, preview the Final Four this weekend in Houston, Texas. So, Zeno, thank you, as always, for taking the time to join us here on this Friday on the morning after. Uh, ben, it is great. To so it's a man who plays many positions but plays none of them well. So there you go. Uh, it's, it's a oh. moniker I'm happy to be saddled with at this point in my life. 
Listen, I still think you do some things pretty well. We'll appreciate that handicapping expertise here on the morning after. So let's start with your childhood favorite team out on Long Island, but yesterday up in the Bronx, the New York Yankees and the San Francisco Giants. A wonderful start for the Bronx Bombers. 5-0 yesterday at home for an opening day win inside Yankee Stadium. Garrett Cole, fantastic. Six innings of shutout work, striking out 11. Aaron Judge on the second pitch of his first at-bat of a new season, wasting no time to continue his encore to a record-setting year, a home run in the bottom of the first innings. You know, it's one game out of 162, but how do you evaluate the start for the Yankees yesterday? Well, obviously, they look very good, and it's always great to get up early. I mean, uh, I would tell you that there were more strikeouts than I would have anticipated yesterday, both from Garrett Cole and Logan Webb. Cole striking out 11 and, and Webb striking out 12. But, you know, I, I always look at these early season games, especially in the cold-weather cities, as pitcher's edge all the way out. So, if you get, you know, as these series continue here for the first week, if you're getting teams playing in 35, 40 degree weather, it's, it's going to be edge pitchers all the way. So I'd continue to look that look to unders as well. And that second game of the year, which is like the least attended game of the year, because everybody wants to be at opening <laughs> day, but nobody's going to game two. It's a great place yeah. to fade the home favorite if it's a, a situation that exists like it would be for the Yankees and the Giants. Under and Giants looks like it would be the play in game two of that series. It's a really good look because, again, we're doing this on a daily basis from now until the end of September by the time we get to the postseason. Again, we're not going to overreact necessarily, Zeno, to one game, but you want to see your stars start off a season in a big way. That is your focal point of your entire roster. And the staff, Garrett Cole, sensational. Aaron Judge, fantastic as well. Zeno, we know the expectation for the New York Yankees. It is not 90 wins it is not a playoff berth. It is winning a World Series. How important are Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge to do exactly that? Well, I, Garrett, look, Aaron Judge is not going to have another 60 home runs, but could he have 35 or 40? Yeah, I think that's realistic. So you're going to see some regression. You're going to need him to carry this lineup. Look, and the biggest thing for Judge, more than anything, forget the 62 home runs from last year. It's the fact that he's healthy enough to play an entire season which has been his bugaboo his entire career. So if, as long as he can stay healthy, he'll remain, let's just call it on a bad day, moderately productive, like above average productiveness. I mean, you know, 35 home runs would be considered a down year for Aaron Judge, but if he's healthy, he's still a threat in the lineup, and it makes everybody around him a little bit better. That's the biggest thing for him. And the same with Garrett Cole. If you're going to be an anchor of a rotation, if you're going to be the ace, you got to be able to give you 30 starts. Like, you have to be able to be healthy enough to do it. I, I, that's the biggest question for the Yankees. If you look at the beginning of the year last year, when they got out to that scorching start, Ben, and they were playing 700 baseball for the first month and a half, it's because everybody was healthy and everybody was playing. And then all of a sudden you start to get injuries and guys, you know, aren't hanging around. And you, you, know, you see Stanton hits a DL and you got some other starting pitchers on the DL. Everything starts to slow down a little bit. So for a team like the Yankees, all these teams that have legitimate World Series hopes, whether it's the Braves, whether it's the Dodgers, the Astros, it's keeping people healthy for the better part of six months. That really is, is step one. Zeno, we flashed those American League East odds. Three of these teams, including the Yankees as the division winners, the Rays and the Blue Jays, all were playoff teams a season ago. You see the two teams at the bottom. The Orioles, the longest price at 22 to 1, just a buck behind the Red Sox at 21 to 1. It was Baltimore on the road in Fenway yesterday with a 10 9 victory to open up the 2023 
campaign. A wild game, Mark Zeno, under the arch in St. Louis. The battle of the birds between those Blue Jays and the Cardinals. It was a game that in the final six innings featured four lead changes and three different ties. Toronto eventually pulls out a 10-9 opening day victory as a slight minus 110 money line favorite. Zeno, what was your takeaway from maybe the most wild game of opening day? Well, full disclosure, again, I have a future on the Cardinals uh, to win the World Series, and I have a future on the Blue Jays to win the World Series. Why? Because they're just great value. Uh, and when you look at it, I mean, the Blue Jays are a team that are constructed off of scoring runs, right? It's a lineup from top to bottom that mashes, and they're going to be really, really tough to, to slow down as long as, again, they keep everybody healthy. And you saw that on full display yesterday. Well, I don't expect the Cardinals to be a team that is near the top of the NL in runs scored. They'll be an above-average offense, but – you know, if you want to if you want to get the Blue Jays out and you want to beat them, you're going to have to figure out a way to shut down that lineup. And I'm not sure that anybody in the American League, at least certainly not in the AL East, has a staff that goes one, two, three in a series where you're like, OK, they're going to knock that lineup out of the park every single day. No, they, they, no one's shutting down that lineup for three straight nights. So uh, I have a lot of faith in the Blue Jays. And, you know, uh, I was talking with the producers and they're like, how could you not pick the Yankees? Because there's no value in the Yankees to win the World Series. Right. The Blue Jays, I got them at 12 to one. Are, are a fantastic yeah. price. If they can get out of the first round of the playoffs and get to a longer series, then yeah, I think this is a team that really has a great chance to win the whole thing. 19 total runs between the Blue Jays and the Cardinals. You can bet that total went over yesterday in St. Louis. Runs at a premium, at least that's what we expected, Zeno. And maybe the more key pitching matchup of opening day in Miami. The reigning NL Cy Young winner, Sandy Alcantara for the Marlins, facing Max Scherzer, a two-time NL Cy Young Award winner with an American League Cy Young Award on the mantle as well. A really good game, tied at three in the top of the seventh after both starting pitchers went out and Brandon Nimmo hits a two-RBI double that were the game-winning runs for the amazing you know when you look at the new york mets this year they're right alongside the yankees for that price to win a world series what do you think the outlook is for new york with max scherzer leading the way well i i think it's you know max i think it's the code here on the new pitch clock rules and everything else and how to leverage him to his advantage i think we saw that through spring training so i think you'll see that throughout the year the Mets have to have the offense to back up this pitching staff. That's really what's going to separate them. And as long as they get production from Alonzo and McNeil and Lindor and Marte, you know, the middle of that lineup is really, really tough. They'll, they'll continue to get production uh, from from Nimmo and, and guys like that from an average standpoint, even Michael Kana. You know, I, I think this is a lineup from, from one through seven that's really, really tough to get out. Uh, you know, while there'll be some tinkering at the bottom of the lineup, but – Again, the Mets starting staff and bullpen, uh, despite the injuries, I, I still think is very much uh, the strength of this team. If the lineup does their part, there's no reason to believe that the Mets aren't a 90-win you know, playoff-type team again and with a chance to win the World Series. There was some bad news for New York. It almost feels like Groundhog's Day at time. Justin Verlander placed on the IL yesterday by that Mets organization, a strain to his terrace major muscle, which is around his throwing right shoulder, but it was optimistically good news 
what they feared might be bad. Verlander, though, on the IL. He was scheduled to start Saturday for New York. Another really good pitching matchup last night, you know, up in the Pacific Northwest. Luis Castillo for the M's. Shane Bieber on the other side for the Guardians. Both go six innings of work. Shutout baseball, but a tie France three-run homer in the eighth gives the Mariners a victory. And, you know, these are two teams that both made the postseason as a wild card, or the Guardians won the AL Central, but both in the postseason last year. We'll see if they can keep the momentum going here into 20. 23 all right the jack of all trades the man that plays many positions goes to the hardwood next a final four breakdown here on the morning apps sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com And then there were four. The 2023 Men's NCAA Tournament descends on Houston, Texas for the Final Four tomorrow night. The first game up, tipping around 6.10 p.m. Eastern Time. It is FAU and San Diego State. The nightcap in H-Town, it is UConn and Miami. We will break down both of those games, the most important matchups that might decide the outcome and what it all means for the hunt for that national championship spot on Monday night in Houston. Welcome back to the morning after, live right here on this Friday, all across the grid. I am Ben Stevens. He is Mark Zeno, here for a second consecutive segment. So, Zeno, let's start by looking at those national championship odds. Right now, Connecticut is an odds-on favorite. In minus money, a minus 125 price. San Diego State has that second best number to win a national championship on Monday night, followed by Miami and then Florida Atlantic, the fourth and longest price out of our final four teams. SDSU, Miami, and FAU all making their first ever appearance in a final four. So, Zeno, as you see and examine those odds, do you believe they will tell the story of what we will see this weekend at the Final Four in Houston. Well, I hope so, because I'm somebody who bet UConn pre-tournament to win the whole thing at 18-1. to 1. So uh, I may actually double down on them at minus 125 for a goof. Why not? I mean, you know, still, it, it's not – they are not that much of a favorite, comparatively speaking, at the price that it's not worth it to do it, right? So, yeah, I, I think that's got to be the case. I mean, UConn, obviously, with the experience and the players and the way they played throughout this tournament – on both ends of the floor certainly leads us to believe that they are the most dominant team. I mean, a lot of people, myself included, think the Miami-UConn game is the de facto national championship that both of those teams, or either of those teams, rather, would take out San Diego State or FAU in the winner of that matchup. So I'm still keeping my fingers crossed on UConn to win this whole thing. I'll probably sprinkle a little bit on Miami on the money line just to hedge myself a little bit in case they don't get there. But You know, this is a situation where UConn, by far and away, is the best team left in this tournament. And we'll detail how these games play out, starting with the first game tomorrow night in Houston. Florida Atlantic and San Diego State. For the Aztecs, their first ever trip to an Elite Eight. Now their first ever trip to a Final Four. For any team out of the Mountain West Conference, FAU is in its second ever NCAA tournament appearance in 30 years as a Division I men's college basketball program. And in this second-ever trip, Zeno, they recorded their first-ever NCAA tournament victory, 
first ever Sweet 16 berth, first ever appearance in Elite Eight, and now a trip to the Final Four. So who keeps history rolling tomorrow in Houston? Right now, San Diego State, a two-and-a-half-point favorite against FAU. SDSU was just a slight one-and-a-half-point favorite for most of this week. The line starting to work in favor of the Aztecs. An over-under of 131-and-a-half. So, Mark Zeno, what do you believe is the key matchup between FAU and San Diego State for tomorrow evening? Well, I hit the under on Sunday as soon as this line came out. So, I don't think this thing goes over. There's no reason to believe that it will. Now, San Diego State's defense, the four teams they face in this tournament are all top 40 in the nation in scoring. In fact, three of them are inside the top 20. But I'll tell you this, five, six, three, and two. Those are numbers to remember. Why? Those are the exact number of three-pointers that San Diego State has given up this entire tournament. That's 16 total against 94 shots taken, 94 three-point shots. That's 17% from three-point range. Florida Atlantic, top 30 in the nation in scoring. What's the legitimate reason to believe they'll have any more success than any of the previous four teams did? Alabama was the only team to break 60 against San Diego State. Defensively, the Owls are top 20 in the nation as well. They're top 20 in field goal percentage defense. They've only allowed opponents to hit 44% of their two-point shots, which should negate some of the size advantage that San Diego State has inside. Uh, FAU is only allowing 66.5 points per game in this tournament. For me, it's the under. I lean San Diego State uh, because they have been able to dictate pace against everybody. Look at the first media timeout, and this is what I've said for the last three games with San Diego State. If San Diego State is leading the game 6-5 at the first media timeout, they are controlling the pace of this game. If it's like, you know, 11-4, 12-6, whatever it may be, in favor of FAU, guess what? San Diego State might be in for a world of trouble. They can't play catch-up offensively. They're not built that way. So you have to get out to a lead and force them to try to chase. That's the only way to take out the Aztecs, and nobody's been able to do it so far, and I don't think it happens here in the national semifinal. San Diego State has gone under in all four of their NCAA tournament victories. In fact, dating back to the regular season, SDSU, led by Brian Dutcher, their head coach, have played 12 consecutive games to the under. They have won 11 of those 12 games. So, of course, offense is at a premium. When we look at FAU, we know the depth that they have for the Owls under Dusty May marks, you know. Seven wide on the perimeter, two big men down low as well. Black Golden, a huge game in the Elite Eight against K-State. 14 points, 13 boards. John L. Davis, one of their leading scorers alongside Elijah Martin. We put this all together, Zeno, under the context of that Owls team total at 64 and a half. What do you think the offensive attack looks like for FAU? And how many points, points do the Owls need to score to beat San Diego State tomorrow night? Well, if they don't get to 60, it's not happening, period. I mean, just, there's just – San Diego State's been able to lock everybody in the 50s, as I said, with the exception of Alabama, because that's the way their offense plays as well. Like, they're not built to score 70-plus points a game, the Aztecs. So, they have to keep teams in the low 60s and high 50s. I don't know that there's a game script that San Diego State can win where this game goes over the total. I think FAU can win a game that goes over the total because they have the offense. Mm. And, and FAU has to make three-pointers. That really is what the – if you take away the three-point shot from any team in college basketball, Ben, they're done for. Yep. Like, there's just not a way – there's not a path that many teams can win 
save Miami, who uh, you know, you know, decided not to make a, a second pointer, a three pointer in the entire second half of that game, and still managed to erase a thirteen point deficit. More on that in a moment, obviously. But I think that's the key for FAU. They got to make threes. They're going to have to get above sixty. If you believe that they can do it, then you're taking FAU plus the points. Forty-four percent of FAU's field goal attempts overall come from beyond the arc. As Zeno said, against two really good three-point shooting teams, certainly Alabama a week ago. San Diego State's defense held the tide to three of twenty-seven from three. Creighton was two of seventeen. A combo of five of forty-four from three. That is eleven point three percent from deep. All right, now the nightcap in Houston between UConn. And Miami, Connecticut, a five and a half point favorite, Zeno, against the Canes and over under at 149 in a hook. Do you expect this game to be more more competitive, excuse me, than that five and a half point spread would indicate? What's the reason to think that Miami and their elite shooting will all of a sudden go cold? I mean, go back to that 13 point deficit with six and a half minutes left. They didn't make a single three pointer. In fact, they only took two of them. But let's look at the flip side of it. Because this is the real patience of Jim Larinaga and Miami, uh, that they were able to kind of just wade through all the noise and keep playing their game. Texas down the stretch over the last six and a half went six for 22 overall from the field and one for 10 from three. They allowed Texas to play bad, and they just took advantage of it. That's called patience, which you don't see much of, because most coaches down by 13 were to play the duck and chuck three offense for the rest of the six and a half and would have walked out of there with a loss. Here's the rub for Miami. They've met their shooting match in UConn, who's hitting nearly 51% from the field and only has one game in this tournament where they shot under 44% from three. So the Hurricanes have two tasks in front of them. Make shots and defend the three. Can they do that? If they can, I think they can actually win this game outright, let alone cover the number. I do think it will stay closer, but there's a huge advantage on the boards for Connecticut, and I don't know that Miami has a one-up answer for Adama Sanogo. I mean, Mm. look, if Drew Timmy wasn't the answer for Adama Sanogo. I'm not sure there's anybody else in the country, really, certainly not left in this tournament that has an answer for Sanogo. UConn's three-point defense, 13th best in the country. But again, Miami's proven they don't need to take a lot of threes to go out and beat you because they will run their offense. So, you know, it's going to be a very competitive game. I saw some sevens pop up already, Ben, in this game, which I think is ludicrous. Like, if I do see a seven come up, it's an automatic buy point for me on Miami, just out of principle, because you shouldn't have a seven-point differential between two teams in the Final Four. At this point, what we've seen from all four of these teams in four games is that they all can play, and they all can play to a certain style in a certain way. That's how they got here. You don't get, you know, lucky four times in March to get to this point. You've clearly established a, a game rhythm and a way to play, and you're executing it very well. So, uh, I, I think the points are probably too many. Again, I am definitively, my heart and my wallet are pulling for UConn all the way on an 18-1 to ticket to win this whole thing. But I'm likely going to hedge with Miami and take some points here with a little sprinkle on the money line. It makes sense to see UConn as a five-and-a-half-point favorite. They have won all four of their games of the big dance by at least 15 points, an average margin of 22-and-a-half points per game. In non-conference play, 15-0 straight up. 14-0-1 against the spread this season with an average margin of victory of 25.5 points per game. But Miami has reached the Elite Eight at least in each of the past two years. And in these last two seasons, the Canes, as a dog, 
20 and 5 against the number. We showed you that big man battle between Adama Sonogo and Norchad Omir. Omir, 11 and a half points, 10 and a half rebounds. His props tomorrow night. Sonogo, 17 and a half with 7 and a half rebounds. Quickly here, Zeno. As we know, the focus for Miami is in that backcourt. Jordan Miller off the perfect 27 point performance. Isaiah Wong caught fire in the second half to lead the charge for the Canes back over Texas. How important is Miami's backcourt tomorrow night against Connecticut? Nigel Pack is everything. He's got to set the pace. He's got to set the tone. He's got to make shots, and he's got to be able to distribute the ball in ways that give his team high percentage shots and easy buckets. Without Nigel Peck, Miami is dead in the water. 13 and a half is that points prop for Pack tomorrow night in the final four nightcap against UConn. Mark Zeno, enjoy it all. Best of the luck to your wallet. Riding the Connecticut Huskies this weekend. More of the morning app next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Just over a week left to the NBA regular season. It is the final day of March. The madness has been huge in college basketball. We expect that to be the case as the postseason approaches around the association. It was a huge night last night, despite there only being two games on the slate. To recap what we saw yesterday, what it means for the stretch run in the regular season, and to set the stage for tonight and into the weekend, Evan Sideri joins us now live right here on this Friday on the morning after on SportsGrid. Evan doing great work with BasketballNewsNews.com. Evan, as always, thank you for your time here on this Friday to go all around the association. Ben, as always, appreciate the invite. Looking forward to it, as always. So just two games last night, but the first one up was monumental. In Milwaukee, inside the Pfizer Forum. Evan, the two teams that have been atop, really, the entire NBA, but certainly the Eastern Conference, all year long. The Boston Celtics visiting the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee closed as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And Boston said, this is only the sixth time we've been booked as an underdog this year. We are going to make you eat your words and numbers, odds makers, as Boston wins by 41. 140-99 last night in Milwaukee. Evan, all year long, we've expected this to be the Eastern Conference Finals matchup. What did you learn last night with a Celtics 41-point route in Milwaukee? Yeah, I think what I learned, to be honest, was maybe I was underestimating how this Celtics team matches up against Milwaukee because all year long I've been saying, you know, Giannis in the playoffs, he's proven it multiple times he can make a deep run. But when you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown playing at that level at the most important position in basketball, which is the wing position, I mean, it's tough for me to look at that performance and say Boston shouldn't be the Eastern Conference favorites. I want to make a one-game sample size out of it, but they've been a little bit inconsistent the last couple of months, but that kind of bounce-back performance in Milwaukee on the road, super impressive to me where I, I'm very high on the Celtics here for the next little bit, and I think those two matching up here, I don't know where to lean right now. I was saying Milwaukee all year long, Ben, but I think after that performance last night, maybe it's closer than I expected. Maybe a one-game sample size, Evan, like you mentioned, is not necessarily the biggest point of contention. However, what last night did was keep the race for the top spot in the Eastern Conference standings, that number one overall seed, very much alive 
and well. Both teams only have five games remaining. The NBA regular season comes to a close a week from Sunday. Boston now two games behind Milwaukee only, Evan. So there is hope of securing that number one overall seed again. Jason Tatum last night leading all scores. A 40-piece in Milwaukee. Jalen Brown scored 30 as well. Giannis was the leading scorer for Milwaukee, but only 24 points. The starters for the Bucks combining for just 54 last night against the Seas. When you look at these two players, Giannis has been playing at an MVP level over times of this season. Tatum has been at that caliber as well. When all is said and done, as both are hunting down an Eastern Conference championship and a spot in the NBA Finals, Evan, which of these two players do you believe is more significant to the respective teams postseason run? Oh, I think it absolutely has to be Giannis Antetokounmpo. And we saw a little bit at some points throughout the season when he sat out, this team was completely different. So much offensive workload on the shoulders of Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton still working back from his injury. And I think looking at this situation, if we're taking Austin Tenacupa out of the mix, he might be the most valuable player in the NBA from that aspect. I think this Bucks team would not be close to where they are right now without Giannis. So I would definitely lean him there. But if we're looking ahead a little bit again to a potential Eastern Conference Finals matchup, Ben, it's hard for me to bet against Giannis here. Giannis has been up there in the NBA echelon elite for years now, and I think it's tough for me. But I would definitely go Giannis. I definitely say most valuable. He's certainly up there too. Evan, you mentioned it's just a one-game sample size. Weird things happen in the regular season. For instance, Boston lost by 19 points on the road earlier this week as an 11.5-point favorite in Washington. Well, the odds not necessarily following what we saw last night. Both teams entered with the same exact price to win an Eastern Conference title as they leave the 41-point victory for Boston on the road in Milwaukee. The Bucks, the favorites, plus 125. Boston had that second-best price at plus 165. Evan, as you evaluate these two teams, what do you think is the biggest difference or a matchup advantage perhaps between these two if they are to see each other again in the playoffs? Yeah, it's a really good question because I think the whole equation of this is how do the Celtics hold up in defending Giannis? Because even though it was a 40-point loss last night, Giannis was getting his points early and often in that game. He, if he would have played a regular workload last night, he would have scored 40-plus points in a blowout loss. But I think that just shows you he can still get his points and still dominate whenever he wants to. So I think the impact of Robert Williams, he's the big X factor for me because his return last night, and we've seen all throughout this season when he's in the lineup, this Celtics defense goes to a completely different level. They've shown that at points they've been awful without him on the court, but when he's out there, elite, elite defensive unit. And we saw it last night. He can deter around the rim. He makes guys second-guess themselves defensively. So I think the Celtics defense, coupled with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown being hot from the perimeter, I think that's a good success if you're looking ahead a little bit to the Eastern Conference Finals between Milwaukee and Boston, if that does indeed happen. So their three-game regular season series between Boston and Milwaukee comes to a close last night. The Celtics, the upper hand, two of the three games going their way. The other game last night, Denver hosting New Orleans. The Pelicans needing to keep winning to keep pace within that Western Conference play in tournament. The Nuggets sat Nikola Jokic last night with bigger prospects on the horizon this evening in Phoenix. New Orleans won by 19 last night. Now Denver goes on the road to the Valley to take on those Phoenix Suns. Kevin Durant expected to be his second game in front of the home crowd. Phoenix a perfect 4-0 with KD in the lineup. It's an eight and a half point spread right now, Evan. No props out just yet, 
for the Denver Nuggets. But is tonight, knowing it's a battle of the two top teams from the odds perspective to win the Western Conference title, is tonight an opportunity for both teams to prove where they stand here at the end of the regular season? I was hoping so because I think this line indicates to me, unfortunately, Ben, that probably Nicole Jokic is sitting tonight. And that's unfortunate because I would have loved to see him against this Suns team against Kevin Durant. We'll have to wait just a little bit longer for that. Potentially with an eight and a half point spread, maybe even you see a couple more guys just set up for rest precautions here on the second half of back to back. A big workload last night for Jamal Murray. He might sit out in this one too. So I definitely in this match with Lean Phoenix, this is a good showcase type of game. If you're missing Jokic, you're missing potentially Jamal Murray in this matchup. Kevin Durant could be in for a huge game. Same for Devin Booker here. I think the Suns cover the spread tonight in that scenario. So I would hammer the Suns here. And I've been on the Suns all year long as far as looking ahead to a title push in the Western Conference. So I would definitely lean towards the Suns here at that number. Right now, it's eight and a half points. If, for whatever reason, Nikola Jokic is ruled in tonight, we will evaluate where that line moves. But even if he doesn't play, we can still look big picture at the Denver Nuggets and their outlook for the postseason because that is now the next step for this team led by the Joker. Evan, as you look at Denver, what do you think their biggest strength is for a playoff run? And what might be your biggest concern for the Nuggets come the postseason? Yeah, I think for me, the strength is, of course, their offense. Because when they're locked in on all all facets, Nicole Jokic just whizzing the ball around the court. He's letting Jamal Murray and Michael Porter do work on the outside. And then also when Jokic takes over offensively, that team could put up 125, 130 points a night easily when they're locked in like that. The big question, the big fallback for me that I've been really questioning all season long is who do they have on the perimeter outside of Aaron Gordon who can defend anyone? I mean, that, that's the big thing to me where – Maybe you can take down Devin Booker or Kevin Durant, but one of those guys is going to be going off every single night because you don't have another guy to defend them. Maybe Bruce Brown steps into that role off the bench. That could be a possibility there, but there's not a lot of defenders on this Nuggets roster where I feel comfortable enough to say they can go in a series, even against a Lakers team, for example, with a Anthony Davis and LeBron James, where am I comfortable even going to bet the Nuggets in that series? I just have trepidations there so much in their defense where I'm concerned there. Uh, as far as making a deep postseason push, I've been kind of fading them all season long here under that scenario. But if this offense does click, if this defense does just be at an average level, I think easily a Western Conference Finals push could be in the cards there and anything could happen in a seven-game series. Evan, as we well know, and as we have documented with you all NBA season long, since the Phoenix Suns acquired Kevin Durant prior to that trade deadline, we have jockeyed for position for that favorite in the West. It's been Phoenix, it's been Denver, back and forth they go. Now the Suns, plus 240 as the favorites to win the West. Denver only 40 cents behind at plus 280. Evan, outside of those top two prices, Phoenix and Denver, to win the Western Conference, who do you think is the biggest challenger outside of the top two? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think right now I would lean towards Memphis at plus 600. I know that number has been fluctuating all season along with them due to the job Moran off the, off the court concerns and also a lot of injuries with them with Steven Adams has been an underrated piece missing from the puzzle there. But with Steven Adams coming back to the lineup here relatively soon, John Morant is now officially back for them. Desmond Bain is playing at a great level offensively right now. He was kind of hot and cold all throughout the season. And then Jerry Jackson Jr., the co-favorite right now on FanDuel for the defense player of the year alongside Brooke Lopez. If you can lock him in to be a great two-way player in the postseason, I think that Grizzlies team could really make a run here. They've been hot the last couple of weeks under the radar, I, I should say. I think they've won 10 of the last 12 games. So I think this Grizzlies team is locking at the right time. If you're trying to find a team as far as momentum swings, that could be the team that buy in right now in value. 
Memphis had won seven straight prior to a game on Wednesday night against the Clippers in Memphis that LA won by nine. No John Morant in that game for the Grizz. We do it all over again tonight between the Grizzlies and the Clippers with Memphis currently a six and a half point favorite. There is a prop out for Jaw, which generally is an indication he is going to be available for this game. Evan, you mentioned the value on Memphis. How do you evaluate these two teams, though, at the end of the regular season in terms of how deep they can make a run into the playoffs? Yeah, I think, honestly, I would lean more towards Memphis right now. I wasn't saying that a couple weeks ago. I think all season long I was saying this Clippers team with Kawhi Leonard now fully healthy. They look like a legitimate contender in the Western Conference, so I think I was leaning towards them. But now without Paul George in the lineup as their one-two, could be missing in the lineup as well as far as into the first round of the series, potentially even longer than that. So I would definitely lean Memphis here under that scenario where Paul George is missing. I just think John Morant's playing at a great level right now. Same with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain. So I would lean the Grizzlies there, but Kawhi Leonard's such a wild card to me where he can take over a series. We've seen it the last couple of years where he can take over and score 40 points a night like we saw against the Dallas Mavericks last year. So I think this Clippers team with Kawhi Leonard, I, I think that could be a under under the radar team you could watch out for there. But between these two teams, I would definitely take Memphis. Russell Westbrook, a huge game for L.A. in that win over Memphis just two nights ago. They scored 141, did the Clips. Russ had 36 of those along with 10 rebounds as well. All right, now we focus on the play in tournament in the Western Conference. Right now, the Minnesota Timberwolves sit in the 8th spot. The Lakers in the ninth spot. L.A. in even 38 and 38 this year. Evan, it is a dead pick em tonight in Minneapolis. So, for an important game in Western Conference standings, who gets the victory? I am going to go with the Minnesota Timberwolves tonight at home. The way this team's playing right now with Carl Anthony Towns back in the lineup, Jaden McDaniels is making a legitimate push, and underratedly so, as one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. He did a great job with Kevin Durant the other night. Anthony Edwards is locking back in offensively, too. So I will take the Timberwolves here on the money line. I think we're going to see a great game both sides, though. If the Lakers do pull out a victory, they would be one game above 500, a winning record for the first time in more than a year, 15 months to be exact. Evan Sideri, thank you so much for your time here on the morning after on this Friday. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. We round out the opening hour of this show on TMA up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Here on the morning after on SportsGrid. Sirius XM Channel 159. That is the home for SportsGrid Radio on Sirius XM. All across the SportsGrid Network, I am Ben Stevens. It is a final for Friday as the big dance picks back up tonight in Dallas for the women's NCAA tournament and tomorrow night in Houston for the men's NCAA tournament as well. Just four teams remaining and they hunt for a national championship. The two games tomorrow night in H-Town starts off with FAU and San Diego State. Two teams we did not anticipate being in this spot reaching a Final Four for the first time in their respective program's histories. It's a two-and-a-half-point spread in favor of the Aztecs. And then in the nightcap, UConn has been here. In fact, Connecticut has won four national championships in the last 20 
three years, and they have been incredibly dominant throughout their run in the madness. Miami has never been here. Their first ever Final Four appearance, but they have reached the Elite Eight at least each of the past two seasons. So as we get ready for the Final Four, we wanted to hear from you. It's time for Fade the Public. At SportsGrid TV on Twitter, what is the best bet for Final Four Saturday in Houston? Florida Atlantic as the two-and-a-half-point underdog against the favorites, San Diego State. Or maybe Miami keeping this game close as UConn lays five-and-a-half in the nightcap tomorrow evening in Houston. Right now, most of the public backing Connecticut, laying five-and-a-half. It makes sense. They have won each of their four games in the NCAA tournament by at least 15 points with an average margin of victory of 22 and a half points per game. But the Canes have been a good dog as we'll detail to start off our number two and we'll set the historic stage for both the Owls and the Aztecs here in the final four. Hour two is up next following a sports grid news update from Alex Fasada. Come back and join us on the morning after. 